Hello and welcome to Inside Infrastructure, an inside look at the decisions and decision makers behind Australian infrastructure. I'm Janice Lee, partner in the Integrated Infrastructure Team at PwC Australia. Recently, Adrian and I sat down with Chief Executive of Sydney Water, Rock Chirot, to discuss how our complex urban water system actually works, the state of urban water reform in Australia, what we need to do to combat climate variability and drought, and the innovative water solutions that are planned for Greater Sydney. Adrian and I both really enjoyed the discussion, so here it is. So, um, Rock Sharoo, welcome to our podcast, Inside Infrastructure. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I wonder if we could maybe kick off with us, um, with you telling us who you are and what you do. My name is Rock Sharoo, and I'm the Managing Director of uh, Senior Water. Okay, and then there's a bit of a journey to you being the CEO, Managing Director of Sydney Water, that um, from our look at your CV involves a number of different countries, a number of different roles, different parts of this country. Maybe you could, um, well, let's trace out that journey. How did you go from from um, being in France to, to being CEO of Australia's largest water utility? Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's a long journey. I've, um, it's a bit boring because I've always been working in the water industry. So, um started uh, quite some time ago now. Uh, in, it, it did start in France, even if I was not uh, born in, uh, in France. Uh, but it did start in France, worked there in the field of uh, design, construction, uh, and then operation. Then moved to uh, Estonia when um, the water company of the, uh, the capital city of Estonia was privatized so back in 2001 uh, and I, I went there basically to um, well to change the, uh, the to change the company uh, to do a number of uh, things that were necessary to be done and actually to list the company on the stock exchange uh, after that um, so a very uh, very very interesting experience stayed in Estonia for about seven years. Um, and, uh, and then at that time, the, um, the key shareholder of uh, Tallinn Water, which was the, the company in Estonia, was uh, United Utilities, a British company. And, uh, and they needed the chief executive for uh, Asia Pacific. So that's actually how I came to Australia. Um, came to Australia, I was working for United Utilities, which is now Quality. Um, I sold the um, uh, United Utilities to a group of investors uh, back in 2011 and then moved to head what was uh, called Dogremont uh, Suez in Australia and New Zealand. And um, and then continue from from this. Uh, um, I had a, um, a call at some well, actually, I, I went to Singapore in between to head Suez in Southeast Asia. Uh, and then one day, I had a call from South Australia about uh, an opportunity to um, to lead uh, SA Water, which was uh, um, the first experience in the um, in the public sector and and a very interesting one. So. I went to uh, to SA Water and, and then from SA Water, um, uh, after that, moved to Sydney Water about two years ago. Now. So the, um, 
I'll, I might ask one quick question before I hand over to Janitor. I know he's itching to ask more questions, but <laughs> do you, do you self-identify as an engineer or as a, mm. a leader? It's, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's probably a bit confusing because the way I was educated is actually not strong in engineering or business management, business administration, but it's a mix of, of, of these two. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not, not a very strong engineer. I'm not a strong financier. Uh, I'm, I'm a mix of my background is very, very uh, diverse. And which is which is good because you know in in a in a leadership position I guess it gives you the possibility to talk about all sort of uh, different things some 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 very technical some very financial some that are more more about um, people and psychology uh, and and different things so I, I, you know I, yes I've got I've got a, a, an engineering uh, master's degree. But am I an engineer as we understand it in Australia? Probably not exactly. Yeah. Mm. It, that's quite a unique set of experiences to be so deep in water globally across so many different national jurisdictions. And I wonder whether you could reflect to what extent are there similarities in the water sector? You know, if you're running a water utility in Estonia, how different is it? to running a water utility in Sydney? Are the issues much the same? You know, are the cultural challenges much the same? Um, not exactly the same, but there's a lot of similarities. And, and, and I guess it's, it's coming from, um, it's coming from probably from the products and, uh, and the services that, uh, that a water um, company is doing. And, and what's really interesting is that um, it, what's really interesting is that whether it's private or public, you actually find a lot of similarities between the two. And, and that that goes back to the fact that um, water a water business is a people business. So the, the, the people are almost everything. Of, of course, you need technology and you need all sort of um, asset, etc. But the people are really everything, and when you look at the uh, the profile of people in in the water industry, there's always a, a very strong um, connection to the community and the service that they are providing to the community, and that that creates this sort of um, um, similarities, I guess, that you can find between. Um, you know, Estonia, um, France, the UK, Australia, a number of different countries in Southeast Asia where you will find, an, not everything, of course, because cultures are different, but you will find a number of things that will be, uh, that will be coming back about um, the, the service to customers, about the quality of the product, about the continuity of service, about... Um, really a, a willingness to listen to the community and, and deliver on their expectations. So there's a lot of things that actually are, are, are similar. Mm. Um, can I ask about uh, the experience in Estonia? You said that you you went there to do a few things that needed to be done to the business and then it was ultimately listed. Did you, you were you hired with the intention of, of leading that journey? 
to listing or was that the product of what you found when you got there? So initially, the, initially there was no RD to list the uh, to list the business. So it was very much about turning around the uh, around the business. Um, it was um, it, it was a business that needed needed a change in terms of uh, in terms of organization, in terms of asset management, in terms of uh, customer centricity, uh, and that was very much the uh, the target. So. Um, at that time, um, the business was 51 person private, and 49 were still owned by um, by the government. And actually, uh, so that was how long three years, or a bit more than three years after privatization, uh, both shareholders actually decided <coughs> decided that it was um, it was actually a good idea to list the uh, the business on the stock exchange. Uh, and that's what we did, and um, and it was a, it was a way to um, to do a number of different things. One of them was uh, to bring complete transparency, right? because when you are in a listed business, it it, it adds uh, a level of transparency that you don't have when uh, when you're a private business. And it was also uh, giving the possibility to. Uh, every Estonian to own a share in, in their world company, therefore to be able to come uh, to the AGM and, and have their say about what what the uh, the world company was uh, was doing. So that was a very very interesting experience. Very interesting experience. Yeah, and then uh, <clears throat> were the Estonian government also the regulator of the utility? I found, yes. That's that was it's it's different now, but at that time, yes, they were also the regulator. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so and and now under <clears throat> with listed ownership, they're the regulator, but it's not it's sort of separate in the sense that they're not on both Correct. sides of the table. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. 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 You have to manage conflict of interest in this situation. Yeah. And what was the public response? So once it got listed, what 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 happened beyond that? Was it a good outcome? Yeah. Look, uh, yes. Um, I state uh, what um, a bit more than three years after after listing, and and the response was really positive. You know, I think they, we really had people um, buying a share or two to be able to come to the AGM and say, mm. um, "Well, when is it that I'm going to have?" Um, Sewer services in my street, uh, or coming to uh, to the AGM saying, "Well, look, the water quality has not been good lately, and I want you to do something about it." Mm-hmm. So it was really um, uh, a, a very uh, a, a very positive reaction from um, from the uh, from the public. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I think the. The situation was that um, not only it increased uh, transparency in the sense that everything was was public in terms of reporting, in terms of investment, in terms of um, in terms of everything, but, but also um, it's um, I, I, I guess it, it was it was uh, sending a message saying, well, look, it's it's it is a, a business that is. Uh, that is owned by the public. Therefore, having it listed instead of having it controlled by one uh, 
investor, and at that time that was a foreign investor, um, was was the right thing to do, probably from uh, from the government point of view. The utilities you've run in Australia, SA Water and now Sydney Water, obviously under public ownership. But you mentioned earlier on that you'd seen actually the 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 themes are common. There's not a lot of difference. What what is different in that public ownership environment versus mm. private ownership? What are the things you see as as different? I don't think there's a lot of difference because well. <laughs> Obviously, it depends how you run the uh, you run the business. But at the end of the day, um, the ownership is probably not the um, defining characteristic of the the, the, the water uh, company. Because actually, uh, provided that you've got all um, or a set of shareholders that are behaving like normal shareholders, or government behaving like a normal government then you can you can achieve uh, exactly the same for uh, for the customers so ownership is not a defining characteristic of a water business it's more um, the, the framework that is in place uh, to um, I guess um, keep the owners of the business um, Mm. Honest and 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 working for for the customers. So mm. and and if you look at it, you know, in uh, in Australia, we've got uh, we've got a regulatory system that um, that is well established. Um, is it perfect? Probably not. Can it be improved? Yes, but you know, there's always ways to to improve a, a regulatory system. But it makes the um, the regulatory system that we've got in place makes the, the role of the government as the owner very clear, makes the role of the uh, of the uh, the water corporation very clear, makes the role of all the different stakeholders uh, pretty clear. So we're not we're not in a situation where uh, we don't have the framework in place so that everyone can stay uh, and uh, in in their position and, and do what they have to do. So, you know, we we would have a private ownership tomorrow in the uh, in the um, in, in Australia. Um, probably that would not change very much. Um, the um, provided that the regulatory system is is the same. The only caveat I'd say to what you said is that <clears throat> that describes the system in Sydney. And it's perhaps not true for some other areas of the country with the um, the regulatory models. Well, yeah, I, 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 I think you're right, Adrian. Uh, the, the, the situation is slightly different uh, in, in, in different jurisdictions. Yes, yeah. Mm. But in, in Sydney or in South Australia, that was very, very clear. Yeah. Mm. Um, just talking about Sydney, and, and um, as we talk to you today, you've got a virtual image of Warragamba Dam behind you. Um, yeah. I wonder if you could explain to us what's the journey of a drop of rain that falls in the Warragamba catchment before it gets to the the, the drinking glass that's beside me. What happens to it? Because I, I suspect it's vastly more complex than so complex than most of us <laughs> will understand. It is complex and it is different depending where you live in Sydney. 
So, but the the, um, um, the the journey would be: it rains, the water um, all onto the ground, and then find its way to go to one of the uh, one of the reservoirs that we've got around here. Then it is uh, stored there for some time until until we need it. Then there's a pipe coming from the reservoir and going to uh, a water filtration plant where uh, the water is treated. And, and that's where it's treated to uh, Australian drinking water guidelines. Once it um, leaves the, the, the plant, uh, it travels into um, a very, very long uh, network that's about uh, 22,000 kilometers of network uh, across Sydney, and oh, a number of pipes, pumping stations, uh, water tanks. Then it reach it reaches your tap, and that's where you will consume it. So the and and in between the water treatment plant and your tap, there will be multiple uh, analysis control. Um, making sure that that the water that you get is absolutely not only compliant to Australian drinking water guidelines, but also good to taste and uh, and to enjoy. Of that chain, you're responsible for. You know, what, what are you on the hook for as, as the MD of Sydney Water? So that starts from um, the downstream of the dam to to your tap. So basically, we're not looking after the dams. Uh, this is water in the southwest doing that. But everything that is downstream of the dam is uh, is senior water. Mm. But that's only part of the story, isn't it? Because you're responsible for what happens after the plug hole as well. Yes, absolutely. And and, and that's also a very very exciting, uh, very exciting uh, journey. Um, so what happens? Uh, you know, you. Um, drink your water and then you go to the toilet and you flush the toilet and and the water goes so it's another very very long network 27000 kilometers of of pipe and then it goes to one of our wastewater treatment plants where it's treated again to a level that is uh, compliant with environmental regulations so that we can put it back to the environment and sometimes it will be to a river, sometimes it will be to the sea, or sometimes actually the water will be treated to a level where it can be uh, reused in parks and gardens or uh, to flush your toilets or for irrigation or for uh, all sorts of, uh, of different, uh, different usage. Mm. And what's really interesting when you think about these two sides is that um, most of the time, people will just turn the tap on, get the water, and flush the toilets, but will not be thinking about what's uh, upstream or what's downstream. But the level of um, the level of humidity um, uh, that is upstream and downstream is massive. It is massive, and uh, the fact is that you don't see it because most of it is underground. And you don't interact very much with it because when you see um, senior water people uh, in the street, it's usually because there has been a break of a pipe and we need to repair it. Or we are installing a new pipe in, uh, 
in a in a, in a new development area. Uh, but it's it's a very um, it's a very uh, hidden uh, piece of work that we are doing every day, but absolutely critical to well everything that we're doing every day. Not only as um, as um, um, as as customers, but also as professionals, because all the industries uh, in Sydney need water. It can be in office, but actually mostly uh, uh, industries and can be small ones, uh, cafes and, and restaurants, or it can be large one manufacturing industries. Everyone needs water, so it, it's it's an absolutely critical uh, piece of um, piece of work that we're providing, but but very very uh, very hidden. <laughs> Thanks. I, I think it's an extraordinary amount of infrastructure and it's so complex. And like before this recording, I had a look on the website and yeah, that 22,000 kilometres of pipes. I mean, it, it makes you think of water as almost a transport business. You know, it's actually got to transport water long distances and, um, and, and it also talked about 13 delivery systems. Is the business of water becoming more complex as well so with climate change you know with with a mixed supply with desal you mentioned recycling you know is it becoming more and more complex to provide that same level of water service is it becoming more difficult um no it's always been difficult um you know if you think about water services why do you have water companies existing in the world it's simply because um, it's simply because at some point um, the, uh, the the settlement, the human settlement, was becoming too big, and the people were basically not um, keeping the fresh water uh, separate from the wastewater, and then you had contamination, and you had uh, basically the, the basic sanitation was not uh, was not happening. And that's no different for, for us in Sydney. Um, you know, if you think about the first, um, um, and I'm, I'm coming after um, uh, after colonization, but when people started to to live in a in a in a small um, uh, dense area like Sydney, uh, initially that was the tank stream. And what happened is that people were using were using the tank stream as a source of drinking water, but also as a source of sanitation to wash their clothes, to do all sorts of things. And then the stream became um, became contaminated, so it was not able to to bring fresh water. So there was another uh, source of water that was used, and at that time that was in uh, Centennial Park, and tank stream was only used for sanitation. And 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 that's that, that you know that's that's how the the the, the water uh, companies uh, were created. Where at some point you need someone to manage the resource. Was it easier uh, back in those days where you had basically no uh, machinery to excavate a tunnel between Sentinel Park? And the what is now the, the CBD, I don't think it was I don't think it was easier than than today. So you know the challenges are different. We we come into a, a time where um, we the technology is existing. You can do whatever you want, and you can treat the uh, the, the water to the 
to the quality level that you want to create it, uh, it's only a question of, of basically a question of cost, but technology is existing. So what's what's um, what's very different in our time is 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 probably the fact that there's a lot more uncertainty and it's a lot more difficult to predict what is going to happen in terms of uh, especially in terms of climate. And, and climate change has an, a massive impact on our industry. Of course, you think about droughts and um, storms and bushfires, etc. But there's, there's plenty more things in terms of, uh, you know, the sea level, uh, rising sea level is another issue for us because uh, we've got a number of uh, parts uh, discharging to uh, to to the ocean. So, how does it work once we've got the uh, the ocean reaching reaching the level where we we can't discharge anymore? And it has an impact on geology and on the soil where we've got infrastructure and power. So, there's a lot of different uh, impacts um, from from climate change that um, that are very um, very new. And, and the reason why it's um, it's probably a bit more difficult is because when we are investing into assets, uh, we are we are investing usually into very long life assets. And the pipes that we're laying in the ground will stay in the ground for 100 years or something like this. And that's why it's really important to have a, a good idea about what's going to happen in terms of in terms of climate change, in terms of the volume of water that you're going to need, in terms of uh, the temperature that will have an impact on water consumption, that will have an impact on um, on, on the, the soil condition, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Because if you don't have this, then most largely you will be you will you will have to reinvest or, or replace your assets before the end of their lives. And, and this has a cost that we don't want our customers to have to bear. Um, Rock, when you <clears throat> you mentioned the list of things that happened to wastewater, there was a conspicuous absence. You mentioned using gardens, perhaps to flush toilets, industrial uses, or, or, or back yeah. to the environment. But the the conspicuous missing one is one that happens in lots of places around the world, which is people drink it again. Mm-hmm. So um, why don't we do that? in Sydney and is it a conversation we're going to have to have soon? I think so. I, I think so, Edwin. Um, so it's probably not exactly correct to say that we don't do it, um, but we don't do it in a large scale. So, you know, if you think about it, when we are discharging uh, treated uh, recycled water back to the environment, uh, it, it finds its, its way back to our uh, back to our system because uh, uh, at the end of the day, you know, there's a water cycle and whatever we do, the water that we discharge back to the environment will uh, come back through um, the pumping station when we extract uh, water from the river to treat it again and to use it as drinking water, as drinking water, or when it goes as far as the, the ocean and then it's transformed into clouds and comes and comes back as as rain. So this is this is existing now. Is is there more that we uh, that we could do? The answer is the answer is probably yes. And 
is it something that um, that we should look at in more detail? The answer is probably also yes, because you know, thinking about where we are, we know that at some point the water that we've got uh, coming from the Blue Mountains uh, will not be sufficient, and at that time the uh, options will be well, basically desalination or recycling, and the technology is very similar. So when when you when you look at this, then you start thinking, hmm, okay, so actually maybe it makes sense to recycling to, to recycle the water and probably not to put it back straight into uh, the uh, into the to drinking water network, but to put it back into the environment somewhere where you can catch it again, treat it again with drinking water standard, and then reuse it. Uh, so that, that's uh, you know that's that's discussions that we will need to have in uh, in the near future with uh, with our customers and the community. Do, do you think the um, community is ready for that discussion? Mm. The majority of the community is. Uh, so we we we're having a lot of engagement with uh, with our customers and the community, and and we discuss these sort of things because. Uh, for us, it's really critical that we understand uh, where where the community is at, and in in, in all the forums that we've got with the communities, um, the large majority of the customers we talk to are saying, "Well, it's almost a no-brainer that we should recycle more water instead of discharging it back to the ocean, because you know when we discharge it back to the ocean, it's not." Mm. Not salty water. It's a water that actually uh, is not drinking water standard. So it would need to be retreated before before we use it. But instead of discharging it to the ocean, can we discharge it to a river upstream or um, a, a, a large reservoir or somewhere where we can store it because it's very good quality. It's usually better quality than the quality of the water in the river where we discharge it to. And then use it again. Uh, so you know, I, th- I think the the community's approach is is a very um, is is a very um, uh, rational one. And, and they say, well, look, instead of building a new desalination plant that is yes expensive to to operate, I mean, construct a, a recycled water plant because that's that's probably cheaper. And uh, and then it's it's not a waste of the water that we send back to the ocean. So the community the, the community is is, um, is 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 thinking about it very logically. Is it true to say that we've got the entire community on board? Uh, probably not. You know, and 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 that's why we need to go through a, a discussion and uh, and 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 really to. To, to take the time to explain what we're doing and and and, uh, and how we can do things differently. You said that, you know, at some point in the future, the amount of water we get from the Blue Mountains won't be sufficient. You know, in in the long-term planning that Sydney Water is doing, are there timeframes around that? Do we have a view about when we need to sort of start talking about water recycling much more seriously, for example? Um, well, it's yeah, it's 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 basically now that we need to start talking about it uh, because in in the future, well, it's uh, you would have asked me the same question before COVID. I would have told you probably uh, 
uh, yes, in in the next few years, we we need to we need to to have this discussion because in few years time we will need to start thinking about the next um, uh, phase of, of um, or stage of investment into in in water production. COVID has changed a bit the the situation because um, the the growth in population will be probably a, a bit slower. Mm-hmm. But it has not changed dramatically. So uh, the, the, this discussion is going to happen um, in, in the next few years and, and has, has actually started to happen because we, this is discussions that we have with our customers. We're not at a stage where we, we, you know, we're ready to, to say, okay, now we need to invest because we don't, we don't need it now, but we need, to, we need to start the plan for the next phase of investment. Mm. Um, go Janice you go <laughs> sorry I, I just I find that really interesting because it, it's almost like last year two important things happened like COVID hit and we all went into lockdown and that probably changed the distribution of demand anyway because we're all sort of stuck at home etc but but also the drought broke right and we were talking mm-hmm. about this just before I, I, could you just elaborate like all of these different kind of events you know what? What do they mean for how you change what you're planning for? It's, it means a lot because you know these sort of changes have a massive impact on on us. If you think about if you think about um, um, water consumption and and sanitation, so in a time of in a in a time of COVID, people will stay home and they will be using water. And uh, we'll be using um, wastewater services from where they are. So, which means that someone living in in the west of Sydney, uh, traveling to um, uh, traveling to CBD to work, for example, during the day they would not use um, the wastewater treatment plants that we've got in Liverpool or West Camden or, or, or elsewhere in the west. But they will discharge of their wastewater in the CBD, and that would go to Bondi. The fact is that with COVID, we've got uh, the the load in terms of volume um, and 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 pollution load is not going to Bondi anymore, but it's going to Liverpool and West Camden and and the other wastewater treatment plant that we've got, and and we are in situations that where sometimes the plant will not prepared for that. So we are in situations where uh, we we now are thinking, okay, well, actually, it means that this um, plant's capacity uh, that we were thinking we had another 20 years before doing a capacity increase, maybe actually we we need to start planning now because COVID will change the way uh, people work and live. And there would be probably less people traveling to the CBD and more people staying at home, working from home in the future as well. So it has a massive impact on uh, on on, uh, on what we're doing from uh, um, on COVID on, on this one more on the on the wastewater side. On, on the water side, um, it has less of an impact, but it still has an impact because, as you can imagine. If there is no one in the CBD, uh, then um, the uh, the consumption rates will be a lot lower. And the way you manage a network when you've got lower consumption rates 
is very different than when you manage it when there's a high consumption rate. So impact again. But coming coming to to um, to your question about droughts, um, it, it's always really interesting to see what happens in in, in times of drought. We, we had um, uh, so a few years ago we had droughts. Uh, fortunately, uh, it broke early 2020, uh, and we're now back to with reservoirs that are at, at good levels. But I, th I think the momentum that, uh, and, and that was a lesson of the last drought, the momentum that we've gathered during, uh, during the drought is something that we don't want to lose. And at the next drought, we don't want to be in that situation again where uh, we're having uh, restrictions and, uh, and an impact on, on our customers and the economy. And, and, and that's really important to think about it not only in terms of customers, but also in terms of economy, because you know when we're trying to uh, attract investors in Sydney, if you're an investor and you want to produce whatever you want to produce, and you know that you need water, because most of the industry, if not all the industries, we need water, you don't want to be in a situation where actually you will think about the investment and then say, Oh, actually, no, not really, because we've got water restriction every, every time there is a drought. So for the economic activity of, of the Sydney and, and, and the region, we don't want to be in that situation where next drought we have water restriction. We want to be in a situation where we can say to investors, well, look, you can, you can come, you can set up your business in Sydney because we've got what we need, whatever, whatever droughts comes in the future. That's that's what 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 we want. So there, there's a lot of work done on this, uh, and and the next um, you know the the greater senior water strategy, which is a document that we are working on, is definitely taking that into account. Um, to try and bring some of those threads together, so you've got um, droughts that create water restrictions. Um, a highly technologically complex and substantial network that supports that. Big capital spend required in the future to mitigate some things like shortages of water and, and the way we treat water and the like. Um, easy question, is water too cheap? <laughs> well, it's, it's, um, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, I would, it, and, and, and the fact is that it's probably where it needs to be today. But at the same time, we know that um, if we want to, if, if we would have had um, a system that was completely drought resilient for the last drought, then probably we would be paying a bit more today. Hmm. Not a massive difference, but probably a bit more. So what I mean here is that if we want to add in terms of resilience, if we want climate change, droughts, um, environmental concern, etc., uh, then it means that probably in the future uh, water will be a bit more expensive. We've got a very very um, cheap water in Sydney. You know, it's it's a bit more than a thousand dollars a year for our customers. Which is when you compare to 
you know what what we spend on uh, mobile phone, TV, um, cigarettes for those who are smoking, etc. It's it's almost nothing, you know. For um, if you think about paying less than three dollars a day to have pure drinking water at your tap every day it's uh it's not it's not expensive at all it, you know it's uh um it, it's good and you know we're happy very happy to be in that situation but it's it's something that is very often uh forgotten and you know we we understand that for some of our customers um it is difficult to pay their bills and, and that's something that we need to take into account um, but, but the fact is that uh, the, the water services, water and wastewater services in Sydney, as they are today, are very cheap. By national standards, it's the cheapest in the country, and by international standards, even more. Um, I just want to dive into a component of that, which is the <coughs> the restrictions that get put on during a, a drought. and. The, the price of water and we know from a whole um a whole bunch of infrastructure sectors that um there's um rationing things restrictions but you can also use pricing to manage demand and i found it striking during the um the last drought that um water remained the same price as it did before the drought even though there was less of it and actually, shouldn't I be given the choice to use my sprinkler and keep my garden alive if I was prepared to pay a rational price to do that? So the restrictions removed my option to keep my lawn alive. By the way, for, for the record, I'm not suggesting that I would have done that. I'm, I'm stingy and I definitely would have let the lawn die. But shouldn't I be given the option to pay a higher price, a premium, maybe a you know, a carve out, I'll give you an extra thousand dollars and have a luscious green lawn. And, and that's a discussion that we need to have with our customers. You know, I, th- I think um, there, is, there is a rationale where with what you what you just said. Uh, we have, um, and, and that's, that's across Australia, we have very um, basic tariffs usually in Australia, with one, sometimes two or three levels of, of tariff, but most of the time you've got just one level of flat, flat tariff, which is not an incentive to consume uh, less water. So that's definitely a discussion that, uh, that we will need to have with, with our customers in the community, because there are different ways to look at water. You could, you could look at it, um, and, and you can model tariff depending on what you're trying to achieve so i've um to give you an example i've worked in jurisdictions not in australia where uh, the tariffs actually for industrial and commercial customers was more than half the tariff for um, the residential customers and that was designed this way because this jurisdiction wanted to attract as many industrial and commercial company to to, to, the, to the jurisdiction so and, and you know it's just to give you I'm not saying we should do that in Sydney but it's just to give you an example of 
there's ways to uh, actually to structure tariffs depending on, on what you're trying to achieve. And, and the conversation is that we need to have with our customers is, okay, what is it that we, we want to achieve? Mm. And, 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 and once we have had this discussion, then we can have a discussion about, uh, about the tariff structure. Mm. Th- there's another element to that question, isn't there, about, you know, are we, are we paying enough? And there are different types of users, industry, household, et cetera, but there might also be other contributors. And one of the um, areas I've noticed of discussion that's been coming up has been around, you know, who else should be paying? Like, should developers be paying? Or, you know, is, is that something that you have a strong view on at all? Um, yeah, we, we are in a, in a very special situation in Sydney where um, we've got a, we've got a, um, a developer's contribution mechanism, mm. but it's been set at zero. So which means that um, the, the, the developers are not contributing to, uh, to new developments um, as it is today. There was a, a recommendation from the Productivity Commission not very long ago that this developer's contribution should be uh, set back to a, a fair level, and the government has, uh, has approved that, has endorsed the recommendation from the Productivity Commission, and that's what's going to happen in the future. So we, we'll get back to we'll, we'll get back to a more I guess normal situation where developers will also be contributing to, um, to the extension of the network, increasing capacity, uh, but, but they're not they're not doing today. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think it's a it's a bit like the tariff um, the tariff structure. It's what what are you trying to achieve with developers' contribution and. Mm. Uh, and you can say, well, okay, actually, um, I don't want the people that are going to live in Western Sydney to pay for the extension of network. Uh, I want the people living in the existing Sydney to pay for it. And that's basically what the government did when they decided to set the uh, contribution to zero. Is that fair? Uh, I, I guess there, were, there was a decision at that time to say, yeah, that's the, the most fair solution. The, the, the recommendation from the Productivity Commission was uh, was to reinstate the, uh, the developer's contribution because, well, you could think, well, actually, the people in the existing scene have paid for the development of their infrastructure. Therefore, it's fair that the people uh, that are going to live in the new um, developing areas also pay for the development of their infrastructure. Um, can I... Zoom out for a moment because that you know the the developer contribution in the local areas, but actually across the whole system, if you want to make any changes, there's an existing system in place. Um, we have um, individual regulators in each state. We have some parts of the water system um, in in New South Wales where the local council runs the water system. There's not a separate water bill; it's captured in your rates. Um, there are differing regulatory systems across the whole country for um, different things. So um, my understanding is drinking standards are relatively uniform, yeah. but, but the economic regulation is different. There's a national water initiative at the federal level, which is agreed, but largely ignored. Um, 
if you had a blank sheet, would you I mean obviously you wouldn't set it up how it is now, but if you had a blank sheet, is there a how would we how can we optimize it? Like what mm. what what would you do with the blank sheet? Mm. Well, you would need to go quite far uh, because in terms of blank sheet, because um because water is, is in the constitution of uh, every state. So if you want to change something, you would need, you would need to go back to uh, uh, the constitution of, of every state in Australia, every state and territory, which is, um, yeah, it's not impossible, but uh, it's, it's difficult. Mm. I think, um, you know, when, when you when you look at it, you've got um, you've got the Australian drinking water guidelines. They are the same for everyone, so that's a good point. Um, the and I'm I'm talking here about the 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 three key regulators that we've got. So that's that's the health uh, regulation. If you look at the environmental regulation, uh, it's different in every state, um, and depending where you are. Um, you will have different constraints and, and different uh, licenses on what you can do or not do with the natural environment. And sometimes that's entirely appropriate because uh, the natural environment in, uh, you know, around Alice Springs, for example, is different from the natural environment around Brisbane. So you, you could understand why there's some differences. Now, having, also, having a common framework would help the water industry uh, to, to, to navigate the, the, um, the environmental regulation uh, a, a bit better. The, the third um, major regulator that we've got is the economic regulator. So that's IPART in, uh, um, IPART in, uh, in New South Wales, that's the Central Services Service Commission uh, in Victoria, uh, Esposa in, uh, in South Australia, et cetera, et cetera. They are all different and they are operating with very, very different rules. Is there one better than another? Probably not. Um, if you think about what it is trying to achieve, when you start thinking, okay, economies of scale, we are um, a small country. Uh, very large in terms of size, but very small in terms of population and very small in terms of number of water companies. So do we need to have as many regulate, economic regulators as we have um, as we have uh, uh, state and states and, and territories? Could be thinking, well, actually having some national guidelines would, uh, would make sense. Is that possible? No. It's not possible because this is, uh, you know, this is the state. Um, uh, this is state control. Um, I, I think, you know, what in, in terms of industry, what we we would like to see is um, some. Um, we absolutely respect the fact that states and territories are different, and and the um, their prerogative and uh, and and, and their Sovereignty in best space is something that we absolutely respect. Looking at it from, um, from, from an industry perspective, we would like seeing um, 
a number of things, guidelines, I guess, at, uh, at national level. And that's why, as, uh, as, as an industry, we've, uh, we've fought for uh, um, renewed national water initiatives. And national water initiative goes back to almost 20 years now. Uh, and, and it really needs to be reinvented, be renewed. That's easier to say. Uh, it, it really needs to be renewed and, and given a new, um, I guess, a new momentum because um, there is obviously water is most of the time local, but there is also water that is transboundary. And just look at the uh, the Murray Darling um, basin. You know, you've got a number of states, and, and having some clear direction from a national water initiative would help everyone at the end of the day, would make things simple. And, you know, if at the same time we've got an opportunity to reduce red tape and to uh, improve, um, I guess, the efficiency of the water industry, then why not do it? Do, do you think the appetite exists to renew the NWI as it relates to urban water? I do hope that uh, we will progress that. And, uh, you know, if it's not now, then maybe in two months. So um, I, I, I do hope that, you know, at some point we will see that there's something that um, can be done at a national level. And keeping, you know, respect and for each state and territory uh, sovereignty, it, it's, not, it's not about changing this balance. But it's very much finding a way to uh, manage um, each state and territory independence autonomy, and 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 having a, a water industry at a national level that is efficient. There's an old adage about um, fixing the roof while the sun's shining. Mm. Um, I would suspect that the inverse is true for water. That, that with water you want to um, you want to do the reforms. While it's raining, because when the sun's shining, you get droughts and the like. But it seems actually, because the dams are full, the appetite for reform disappears. Um, yeah, I, I think um, it, that's your your right in what you're saying. Um, I think it's also our responsibility as a, as a, as a water industry to, you know, to to keep engaging with uh, with our customers. And, and 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 have a discussion about the best time to, to do the investment when we need to do an investment. And usually when you're in drought, it's too late to build additional infrastructure because you need a few years to between project identification and, and completion. And when you're in drought, that's too late. So having a discussion with our customers so that um, we all agree that the best time actually to, to, to do the investments and to prepare the system for the next drought is um, when the sun is shining and the reservoirs are full. And, and you know, that's, I, th I think it's part of our responsibility as well uh, to, to have this discussion with, uh, with customers and community and, and, and be on the same page that um, let's not wait until we are in a difficult situation and it's too late to do something. Let's work together on the solutions that will be that we will need in the future.
given that there's often a yeah, our leaders make those some of those, particularly the investment decisions based on the feedback they get from your customers. Um, you know, one thinks of building desalination plants, which are necessarily chunky bits of infrastructure that have to be paid for over long periods of time, often with taxpayer money, not just user user bills. Um, is there a way of, of structuring those decisions such that they're made? without the need to fear for the headlines as opposed to the, the current structure? Mm. Yes. And, and, and I think that's what I was um, saying when I was talking about having the discussion with our customers because, um, you know, when we're having discussion with our customers uh, about the next augmentation, whatever it is, a new dam, a new desalination, a new water recycling plant, a new whatever it is. But the discussion that we're having is um, is a discussion where we go to uh, asking the question and asking if our customers are willing to pay or if they prefer to take the risk. And when we get to a situation where we can have an educated discussion with our customers about the need for investment, and they will challenge us as much as they can because they don't want to pay for something that is not needed. They don't want to pay too early if it's not needed. Mm. So they will challenge us as much as they can. But once we get to a situation where we actually all agree, meaning our customers and, and, and us, that this is something that is in the best interest of everyone. Then after that, we can go back to the economic regulator and say, well, look, this is what our planning says in terms of climate change, consumption, et cetera, et cetera. The consequence of this is that we need to do this investment. And by the way, we have had a discussion with our customers and the community they also agree that it's time to, to do it and they are prepared to pay for it. And in that case, well, you know, it's a no-brainer. We need to go with this. And our responsibility is to is to have this engagement and discussion and discussions with our customers and the community and, and, and really test their, their willingness to, to pay for, for this sort of investment. And we, we know that in Australia, the best way to make it rain is to announce an investment decision on a desal plant. And, um, <laughs> yeah, you get, you get rain true. fairly swiftly afterwards. <laughs> I think, oh, yeah, I, I just, um, I'm glad you returned to that because it was a question in my mind around the Estonia example. Um, you know, when you're making these really hard long-term decisions, are there points where having it in private ownership almost sets up a, a pull the opposite direction because, you know, you are much more accountable, but you're also accountable for short-term returns. And, and that, does that get harder or do you find that it just gives you another forum in which you can have that conversation? Well, I think it depends on the kind of investors that you've got. Mm. Uh, and, yes, if you've got short-term investors, um, it's probably a different, uh, a different discussion. But when you look at the... Uh, uh, investors in, in the water industry, uh, most of them are very long-term, long-term or very long-term investors. And for the long-term or very long-term investors, um, actually, they will support the 
process of engaging with customers. They will support the uh, um, the the, uh, the, the long term planning and investment because at the end of the day, that's not the short term profit that is important, but that's more long term long term return. So when when you look at the profile of investors in in the water industry, that's actually that works. Mm. I wanted to talk briefly about circular economy mm. and um, the, the, the multiple parts of the value chain of water you deal with where there are what was previously waste but is now a, a product and, and perhaps some of the innovations that you're rolling out in that space. Yeah, look, I, I think there's no, uh, there's no better industry than the water industry to talk about circular economy because... You know, when you think about the water cycle, this is this is circular economy because we're using and reusing water multiple times, and we've been doing that since the uh, the dinosaurs. Um, it, it's you know, for us, it's it, it's an absolute no-brainer. We've uh, this is something that we've done for for a very very long time. Uh, you know, if I take our example, senior water, um, we've um, <laughs> We're producing 180,000 tons of biosolids every year. And the biosolid is basically what we're taking out of the water when we create it. All this is recycled into, is recycled into uh, agriculture. So, you know, where um, decades ago, uh, it was going to landfill. Uh, that's something that is, and, you know, that's typically circular economy where, the carbon, the phosphorus, the, uh, the nitrogen that we're extracting from, from our uh, water treatment process is used as a fertilizer in agriculture. And, and that's typically the sort of, you know, um, our contribution to, um, to circular economy. But, but there's a lot more that, uh, that we can do. We've spoken about recycled water. That's also, you know, recycling more water is also a, a very good application of, of circular economy. We're generating gas in our wastewater treatment process. Traditionally, uh, the gas was used to produce electricity at our wastewater treatment plant and then using the electricity uh, in, in the wastewater treatment process. We've been trialing uh, now something different, which is to treat the, the biogas that we produce and to inject it into into the grid, so that's a that's a brand new uh, initiative that we're doing with uh, Jemena at uh, at our Malabar wastewater treatment plant, and and they are the sort of um, you know initiative that we can have to, to increase even more uh, circular economy. We are. I'll take another example, which is a really interesting one. We are working on on the advanced uh, working recycling center in uh, in, uh, in Western Sydney, Upper South Creek. So that that would be a, a, a landmark project for the uh, the new development in Western Sydney. This advanced water recycling center is designed to be completely different compared to a normal uh, recycling center in the sense that. Not only it's going to recycle water, but it's going to have different streams where you will really exploit the 
uh, the nexus between water and energy uh, and water and waste and water and food in, in a number of different ways. But um, the, 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 the project includes um, the fact that actually in, in, a, in, a, in a recycling center like this one, you can actually um, accept green waste or food waste and actually produce more energy that you can reuse on site or send back to the grid. You can produce gas. You can produce um, water with different um, level of nutrients that can be used in the um, agri precinct that will be in Western Sydney. So it's a completely different concept where we are actually integrating um, a number of different streams Mm. Um, using the different nexus that water has with many, many different things into an advanced uh, water recycling center. It's a very, very exciting project. And that's, you know, I'm not talking about something that's going to happen in 10 years. That's, uh, that's going through the planning cycle at the moment, and we're going to go to market end of this year. Mm. Is that a um, kind of build it and they will come type? In what sense? Well, <clears throat> the, the customers for the products that come from those streams, um, is, it, is it speculative or is it? No, not at all. Uh, not at all, because, you know, if, if you think about, um, so there's probably a, a number of different answers to, to, to your question. So first, um, the project is a modular project. So, you know, we're not starting with the full mm. capacity of the plants uh, at, at the beginning. We'll, it, it will grow as uh, development happens in Western Sydney. If you think about energy production, simply the site is going to require energy to, to operate. Mm. But actually injecting uh, gas back to the grid, it's something that you can do wherever you, you want to do it. And in Western Sydney, like anywhere else, as we do it in Malabar today, injecting uh, electricity into the grid is something you can do anywhere. And if there is no uh, consumer in Western Sydney, the electricity will, will be consumed somewhere else in the States. If you think about um, um, the food waste, for example, that we can use in, in, in the process, food waste is existing. So. Instead of going to landfill, uh, it can be mixed with our with our process and and produce uh, electricity and, and nutrients for uh, for what we're trying to achieve. So, it's um, the, the 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 market is existing. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it's not something uh, that's where we are. I guess banking on the dream to 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 sell the product and and the services to customers that don't exist. They actually they're here. We uh, just need to to do it. And how different is the technology to be able to do those things? So is it is it very different from the technology you would have used to process and and treat water previously? Um, no, not not very very different. Um, and, and technologies, you know, technology in water is um, is a mix of traditional and. and and, and, and new technology, and smart technologies. You've got things that are different in terms of um, 
in terms of optimization uh, of technology, optimization of process uh, that probably were not existing in the past. We've got a number of um, things that are existing in terms of uh, sensors and the analytics capacity, capability that uh, were not existing in the past. But when you're talking about a biological process to treat uh, wastewater, for example, that's still very, very similar because you're still talking about um, uh, basically bugs, uh, a biological process treating the water. So this is this is not different. In the in the chemical space, uh, mechanical and chemical space, yes, you've got some slightly different technologies. The membrane technologies are changing, uh, and and have been changing for the last twenty or thirty years now, uh, to points where um, they, they are extremely efficient today. But even today, you know, we, we're working on a on a project um, um, where with a new material that's called graphene. And um, it's it's a membrane-like uh, product, but with the possibility actually to, to remove a lot more uh, organic matter with a lot less energy. So Technology is is, uh, is changing as well, mm-hmm. and, and that's something you know we, we are adjusting and adapting uh, the uh, um, the the infrastructure that we're con- constructing to to the technologies that are existing. Janice, I know you had some some questions about leadership. Just a personal question, really, um, and and just thinking through the things that you've done, you know, here in Australia, but elsewhere, you know, you've managed quite a few transitions in that time and, you know, um, you know the transition around privatisation, transition in SA around technology and, and just seeing some of the challenges we've talked about today around climate change. I just, I wonder, you know, what are the, the common threads that have defined the way you've led those organisations through those transitions and, um, you know, what, what sort of, um, what sort of legacy do you think that you want to leave behind, you know, for the water sector? Was that too morbid a question? I didn't mean to. Say no, 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 no. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> Maybe no, you just that, splice some no. of that question out. <laughs> you no, get my question. Yeah, that is probably a lot in your question. <laughs> um, look, I, I think the. Uh, um, I think at the end of the day, the driver for me was. Um, you know, and that's something that I've used in in, in, in a number of different organisations. But it's we have a we have a role in the water industry, which is uh, you know like probably no other industry, where we we have an impact on 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 everyone in the community because of of what we're doing every day, and and because you know without water you can't you can't do more you can't do much. So for me, you know, the driver has always been to um, to create a better life for 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 our customers and the community and the people that I'm working with. So it, it's um, you know, and 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 I know it's a bit cliche, but actually, the water industry is is a is a people industry. It's a people business. Because when you look at the level of autonomy and you look at the level of um, human decision 
in uh, and human interaction in the water industry. This is really what's driving the business. So when I'm talking about um, creating a better life for our customers and the community, it includes also the fact that um, our people working for these customers and community have to feel good in, in, in what they're doing and, and have the possibility to really um, express themselves and, and, and really, really uh, do, do their best. So creating this environment where they can, they can be at their best to deliver the best for our customers and the community. It's always been the driver for me, and 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 that's a that's a fun balance because um, you know you you need to think about it from from an external customer community perspective because at the end of the day this is what what we're doing and the reason why we're here. But you you need also to think about it internally because you want the best people to do their best every day for for our customers, but you also need to think about it from a uh, a shareholder's perspective. So in, in, in the private sector, it uh, should start with the public sector. It's pretty easy because anyway, you know, our shareholder is in, in the public sector is the state, which is the people of South Australia, of uh, New South Wales in, in Sydney. So, you know, when we are generating a bit more profits uh, and paying a bit more dividend to our shareholder, that will be used in schools and roads and hospitals, etc. So, you know, it's a no-brainer. When it's a private investor, then this, uh, this money will be reinvested in, in, in different investments. So it's balancing the, uh, um, you know, the efficiency of the business for the customers and the community and for the shareholders. But usually, you know, it's pretty well aligned because... Our customers don't want us to be um, fat and lazy. They want us to be lean and efficient. And because they just don't want to pay more than they should pay. And whether the, uh, the, um, the investor is, uh, or shareholder is private or public, the customers at the end of the day is, doesn't want to pay for more than, uh, than they should. Um, Rock, I, um, <clears throat> I always ask the same closing question to all of our guests. Did I? I can't help feeling it's going to be somewhat redundant with you, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what's your favourite sort of infrastructure and why? Uh, surprisingly, uh, it's water. Uh, <laughs> really? I, I was gunning on coal runs, but okay. <laughs> uh, look, the, the why is very simple. You know, it's, it's an essential service. Uh, it's something you know. Water is life. Uh, it's uh, it, you know. It's it, you, you can't you can't think about uh, um, you know a better um, purpose, I guess. Uh, and and that's probably why I've you know started in this industry, and I'll probably finish in this industry because there is no better purpose and and um, than, than you know creating something. For um, for our customers, that is that is really life, and whatever it is, can be jobs, can be drinking water for your health, it can be water for uh, recreation, can be water for trees so that you put enough shade in the city, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, you know, it's such a such an absolutely essential service and product that we're providing. So yes, water 
definitely. Rock, it's been um, just a delightful discussion mm. and um, uh, hugely informative okay. about what the water system is, not just in a physical sense, but in a uh, what it means to all of us, but also in, in how the regulatory structures work and the pricing and um, how the whole system fits together. So thank you so much for, for taking pleasure. time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Please make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and leave us a rating or comment on LinkedIn. This episode was recorded and edited by Adam Stevens from TAG, PwC Australia's internal media agency. Thanks also go to Linda Bergenson, Jacob Laird, Kieran McCann, Madeline Bartlett, Brendan Pierce, and Michael Player. Thank you.